Welcome to another episode of Beyond Barriers podcast. Uh, today we have a really special guest. His name is Michael Ashford, and he's the director of marketing at a Denver-based software company, as well as a podcaster and independent journalist. Uh, Michael has spent years researching leadership, conflict communications, and how to overcome political and social polarization in an effort to chart a path to help us bridge divides and find more common ground. Uh, Michael is also a two-time TEDx speaker and hosts the Follow-Up Question podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's great to be here. I'm I'm truly honored and humbled. Thank you both. Thank you for joining us. And now I know we actually, I've never met you until now, but I had heard of you because you actually had had Jeff on your podcast a while back and since then have kind of followed and listened to several of them and absolutely love them first and foremost and i'll definitely drop a link down in uh, the description here for everybody definitely take a listen um my very first question is why did you come up with the title the follow-up question and i'm sure you probably get asked that a lot but we'll go ahead and get that one out of the way Uh, it, it's kind of twofold. So it's a harken back to my days as a journalist. One of the things that we're taught in journalism school is how to ask a, a follow-up question to keep a conversation going and keep a, uh, keep a, a, a source spilling their guts. <laughs> and then uh, the other thing is, uh, the other reason I named it that is because I think that's what's missing in a lot of our dialogue right now. We, especially over issues that are politically or socially charged, where we disagree, we are, we seem to be consistently waiting out someone's answer so that we can speak next, Mm -hmm. rather than digging a little bit deeper and getting curious and interested about someone else's perspective, even as uncomfortable as that may make us feel, asking a follow-up question when somebody says something, especially that we disagree with, can open doors to having a more nuanced, more um, inclusive conversation with that person. Where, as as my bio that you read, Acacia says, like I want us to find common ground where we align more with the things that we agree on, rather than quabble over the things that we disagree on. And I think a follow up question is, if more people did that in our conversations. Uh, I, I think we'd uncover a lot more of that common ground than we we realize exists. Absolutely. And I, I think that's what's so incredible about your show, Michael, is is uh, some of the guests that you've had on there and and just just the ones that that I've heard. I mean, they've been incredible. And a lot of the conversation has to do with dialogue and understanding. And and in these polarizing times, I think it's 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 just incredible. And I wanted to ask you too um, about your TED talk. Um, yeah. First of all, it was phenomenal. Um, but what was what was the um, what was the high point of that? And and um, exactly, uh, what can you share with the, the listening audience if they haven't heard the TED talk? The high point of the talk, I I love the line. <laughs> I got goosebumps when I wrote the line is your offense your most prized possession and you'd have to let it go. Uh, and, and that was in response to asking the question, if you got more curious about people who disagree with you, what would you lose? What do you think you stand to lose? Or or what, what are you afraid of 
in, in seeking out opinions and viewpoints and perspectives that may differ from your own. And that, that point right there, I feel is where a lot of us exist today, where we are, where we are holding so tightly to our offense and looking for and waking up searching for a reason to be offended. And if we, if we started digging into other people's viewpoints and perspectives, we'd have to let that go. I think to some people, they don't want to do it. Uh, or that seems very hard, very vulnerable, very uncomfortable. I, I uh, recently interviewed a couple pastors who wrote a, an incredible book uh, on God. It's called God and Race, um, a guide for moving beyond black fists and white knuckles and, and talking about coming, opening up your hands in open-handed conversation. You can't do that when you're offended. You can't do that when you enter into conversations with with fists and, and clenched tightly. And, and that, that to me was my, oh my gosh, I loved that line just for what I hope brings about the conviction to people to understand like, yeah, is, is that what I'm, that's what I want people to do is, is, is ask the question, is that what I'm seeking? Is that what I value right now? Um, I, I hope that gets through, Jeff. Absolutely. I, I think there needs to be a lot more of, of this type of discussion in, in society these days. And, and um, the things you're talking about, it, it has a lot of uh, meaning to us and the work that we do because we're constantly working on dialogue and, and getting people to, to understand and see other people's viewpoints. So what is one of the biggest challenges in, in that, as you see, is like, um, I guess we could say like, if you look at the Republicans and the Democrats right now today, where they just demonize one another, what do you think is, uh, how, how do we get past that? I know it's a loaded question, but. <laughs> uh, the thing that I constantly remind people of is understanding does not equal agreement. And I say that in my TEDx talk, um, as a Christian man myself, who now is, you know, I grew up in conservative red state, Kansas, who now is living in purple Colorado, politically independent. I go back to something that I, I read in the Bible growing up all my life, which is um, don't rejoice when your enemy fails. When they stumble, don't take, don't take joy in that. That's from Proverbs, Proverbs 24, 17, I believe. Uh, that seems to be <laughs> just from my perspective and a lot of what we see um, presented to us in, in popular media, on social media, that seems to be the end game for a lot of folks is if, if my enemy stumbles, that is victory for me. And as a Christian, I can't get behind that. Uh, that is not what Jesus called me to do. And so this, <laughs> going back to what I said earlier, that understanding doesn't have to equal agreement. There's a real fear of even at this point, uh, of even crossing that divide will get you shunned, will get you canceled, to use that popular turn of phrase, will get you ostracized from whatever community you, you happen to identify with. There's a real fear there that even just seeking understanding uh, will, will get you kicked out of your tribe. And that tribal mentality from, from all the folks that I interview on my show 
there's a lot of work being done to help us overcome that tribal mentality because we are further digging our trenches in when it comes to that. It, it feels like it, it just feels like that, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I would say, like, especially right now, um, I mean, I, I've seen it some over the years, but especially right now, that whole tribal mentality and having to belong to one thing or another, whether it's I'm belonging to this group because I don't want to be ostracized and outcast and looked upon as different, or, you know, it, it, you have to fit in somewhere. And I think we've forgotten that one of the greatest things about living on this earth is that we are all different and you don't have to group up and group think. And, um, but a lot of that, like you said, it, it requires dialogue and listening and listening with the intent of actually listening, not listening with the intent to react or respond, but actually listening. And it's, it, it was so funny that you mentioned, uh, I grew up going to church. My dad was a preacher. And so it's like you mentioned Proverbs and my mom actually short, crazy story. I do a lot of art, a lot of coloring. My mom got me a Proverbs coloring book and I literally was going through it the other day and found the same Proverbs that you were talking about. And oh, it, it, I didn't even think about it until you were talking about like, wait a minute, I just saw that the other day. But <laughs> it, it's, it's amazing how we look at these things and it's so, when you boil it all down, it's very simple. It's like so simple that we could, you know, you. that's what they teach in kindergarten is yeah. you want to play with that? Ask. Or here, let's share with somebody. Well, you don't have to be afraid of the differences. And now here we are as adults and we're having to relearn it all over again many of us so i think it's pretty incredible um that the approach that you take with the individuals because a lot of them that you've i've heard on your show like are just really good and it's very thought-provoking if anything like you said it 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 catches the context of your title the follow-up question because a lot of times we listen to podcasts and we're like, oh, I'm going to learn and I'm going to gain all this information. And, but we forget that in doing that, how can we learn more? And I yeah. think that's the one thing that I enjoy about your podcast is like, it leaves you wanting to learn more. Um, one of your latest episodes, you were talking about food and the lady that you had on there was so precious and she she brought up a thing that i never thought of before about how when a family is in the kitchen cooking together it reminded me of my mom and dad um because my mom and dad will be in the kitchen kitchen cooking stuff and everything and you know you have to communicate during that time and it just it creates even more of a bond and then the breaking of bread and eating with somebody and how some people are like, you know what, I'll talk to that person, but I will not break bread with that person. And mm. how it, it's like, it's a very intimate thing. And it never dawned on me until actually I listened to your podcast and she was talking about it. I'm like, that makes a lot of sense. Like, 
and then how do we get here's a question for you and all of the podcasts that you've done because you've done several mm -hmm. um what has been maybe i wouldn't say difficult but maybe probably one of the hardest podcast conversations you've had with a guest if um, I, that's kind of a loaded one too here right. we are with the loaded questions but it's also it's also a really easy one to answer um before I answer that, though, I do want to say that I, I just interviewed a guest who wrote in her book. Her name's Monica Guzman. She introduced me to a phrase that I had never heard before. It, it comes from uh, Hispanic culture. It's called Sobra Mesa. It is the conversation that happens over the table. Um, mm. And it is, it, there's no English word for that, but we all know it. We all know, like, just how good that conversation feels or how, like, poignant those moments are. I just love it. It gives me goosebumps. Um, yeah, most difficult conversation. I, I mentioned I was a, I was a Christian. I have had a couple atheists on the show. Uh, the one that was the most difficult though, was my conversation with Andy Norman. Uh, he talks about mental immunity <laughs> and immunity is, is certainly a, a, a hot button <laughs> phrase right. these days with vaccines and, and COVID and all that right. stuff. But, um, he believes there's a way to inoculate our minds against bad ideas. And to him, um, faith, religion is a bad idea uh, or, or generates bad ideas from it when we get so locked into, um, when we get so locked into things that cannot be proven by science, things that not can be, cannot be proven by reason or logic. That's a bad idea, uh, in, in Andy's mind and in the world, in the, in the work of an Im, a mental immunologist. And if you listen to that episode, that is one of the few episodes where my guest and I, Andy and I really start to go back and forth over what it is we believe. And we start to challenge each other, but we also ask each other questions and you hear me more than any other episode on, on my show. Cause I, I just want to sit back and ask questions. You hear a lot of what I hope is a model of what these types of dialogues can look like. Mm -hmm. You've got two people who are diametrically opposed in viewpoints of, right. of this world and how it was created and, and our place as human beings in it, sitting down, and having a conversation over those views. And at the end of it, Acacia, this is what is most important to me. Once the recording was, was done, once the, the episode was, was finished, Andy said to me, and I hope he's okay with me repeating this, but he said to me, Michael, this conversation gave me hope. Wow. And as a Christian, I can take that one way. As a human, I can take that another way. However I take it, that's a good thing. That's a yeah, good yeah. thing. And we left with more respect for each other than had we had a knockdown drag out argument over our beliefs and said, and said the end all be all conversation stopper, I guess we'll just agree to disagree. Mm -hmm. Right. That is, that is a, that is a, that's a way of canceling a conversation. I guess we'll just agree to disagree. Well, well, well why do we have to? Can we, can we not talk about these things and get a little bit uncomfortable with each other and have our beliefs challenged? Is that okay? Can we, can we put aside our, 
our child ego, our, uh, our want for simplicity, our, our just hate of cognitive dissonance <laughs> and have a conversation that gets a little messy and ugly because life and humans and our minds are messy and ugly. And, and what are we doing if we can't have those conversations? Um, I hope that answers your question. I get really yeah. fired up about this. Well, it was great. It's awesome. It was great. <clears throat> that leads me into my next question for you too. Um, you know, a lot of our listeners, they're, they're curious about, you know, well, how do, how do we, you know, bridge those gaps, you know, and, and I'm not talking just about extremism and like what we do, but in general, in, in all aspects of society and, and why, I, you know, we're so excited to have you on the program is because you seem to have a, a real knack for this stuff, you know, about br bridging those gaps and those divides. And um, what tips could you share with our listening audience about how to, how to, how to bridge some of those gaps with, with people. And, and, and what I, what I mean by that is like, I spoke at an event. Um, it was actually a political event and they had asked me, they said, and this was a progressive uh, or liberal Democrat event. And they said, I want to know one of the, the people in the audience that they wanted to know how to reach their neighbors that were Trump supporters. And I said, Oh, this is easy. But for them, it was, it was a really difficult question. And I thought this is, these are the kind of, you know, so I had some advice for them. So I would like to hear what would you, what would you give uh, somebody advice and, and not just in a situation like that, but that was just an example, but just in general on how to bridge those gaps and divides. Cause I, that's, that's one of the most, most interesting things I think that, that for our listening audience to, to hear. Well, Jeff, I, I want to preface this by saying I didn't come into this as an expert. I, I started my show as, as I, I just wanted to ask questions to see if I could find an answer hidden in all of this. I know how to ask questions. That's that's what I'm good at. <laughs> um, but in doing all of these interviews, in reading as much as I've read, and in talking with folks like you, Jeff, who have gone through that process and, and the, the transformation that you've gone through, here's what I've stumbled across. The people that are most effective at doing this, at crossing those divides, they ask questions in three categories and, and in this order. They ask questions first of themselves. They get introspective. They, they desire to have a greater level of self-awareness about themselves and how they feel and how they act and how they came to their own beliefs. So they ask questions like, that person said something that just made me want to spit lead. Why? Why did that make me so upset? Um, what am I missing? What, what could I possibly not be seeing in this situation that somebody else might view differently? Um, how, how does the way that I was raised, how is that affecting my beliefs today? Hmm. So they get introspective. The, these, these folks, and they, they get in that mode of getting uncomfortable with their own thoughts. That's first. So they ask questions of themselves. Then they start to go into this world where they start to say, I'm going to start asking questions about other people. Okay. And, and this is where maybe empathy would come into play. So um, if, I, if I were raised like that person, how might I view this situation? Or what might be true in that person's life that they would think or act or feel that way? 
that is an uncomfortable place for us to get to as well, because it's this whole understanding does not equal agreement thing. We think if I can empathize with the radical, the extremist, the, you know, even politically, we think of each other as radical and extremist, and that's right. not the case at all. Um, but they, they, they begin to ask questions about others. And that curiosity unlocks something in them enough that they get to the third point at the third stage where they say, I've got to find somebody to ask these questions of. So then they go and seek out somebody who disagrees with them, somebody with a different viewpoint or a different perspective, and they ask questions of that person. And they do it without assumption. They do it without interjecting their opinion into the very questions that they ask. We're, we're so good at, at, at boxing people in with our questions sometimes when we disagree. Well, you're a, you're a Trump supporter, so you just believe that women's bodies should be available for men to do whatever they want with them, right? And, and we were really good about <laughs> lighting a fuse of an argument before we even get a chance to understand where the other person's coming from. But a question that you would ask of somebody is, you and I disagree on women's health and abortion. I was raised as a Christian. I believe in that life, bege life begins at conception, but I know you feel differently. And I can understand scenarios where that might be the case. Can you help me understand your perspective? Can we have that conversation? What person in the world is going to turn down that? Like if they are, if they are making a good faith effort to understand and have a conversation and ask those questions without assumption and judgment, my goodness, like that, that process I've seen now at this point in all the interviews that I do, it works over and over and over again. And when I say it works, I mean, it's leading to really rich interesting, nuanced, complex conversations that help us see each other as human beings and not as political ideologies or, or social ideologies or the color of our skin. It, it just, ah, it, uh, that's, that's like my next TEDx talk <laughs> will be, will be on this topic because that is, it's the, I call it the difference between peacemaking and peacekeeping. Do you want to go out and make peace? Or do you just want to keep the peace that you have, knowing that there's always the specter of disagreement and disharmony waiting over your shoulder? The people that, that, want to, that go through that cycle of what I just lined out, they want to make peace. It's an active process. That was phenomenal. Mm. That, that is, that, and, and that is, and, I, and you absolutely nailed it. That is what makes a difference right there. And if anybody takes anything out of this entire episode, it needs to be that because that is, that is 100% true. And, and it is, it is, it works. It thank works. You. And that well, is really, really, thank you so much for sharing that. That, that was very eloquent as well. <laughs> your, your story is a major influence on that, Jeff. Like, Seriously, you're you're one of the inputs to that. And I even I even mentioned you in my TEDx talk the first time around. Like you you considering that 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 cognitive dissonance that you felt, um, you you didn't you didn't run away from it. And that's gotta be the first step is like getting into those uncomfortable, messy situations in our head. So thank you for sharing your story and the work that you do, man.
Well, and it, one thing I noticed too, in going through that changing process and, and learning about different things is being open to other people's experiences, just like you explained and hearing that. And then all of a sudden empathy kicks in and compassion and all these, these feelings that you might've wanted to block out before that the individual in the situation, and we use myself as an example, block those things out. All of a sudden it's very real when you see the humanity in that person sitting across from you. And we all can, can utilize these things in, in life and put these things into practice with, with people that we disagree with. And, and we find that we have more in common than we do do differences. So um, now, now the thing I'd like to add to that is, is I, I mentioned this some, to someone the other day and they were shocked by this. Every single guest that I've had on my show, including you, Jeff, has said something that I disagree with. But my hope is that you don't even know it. You don't even know what it could have possibly been because all I wanted to do was ask you questions and learn. Mm -hmm. Like, can we please, can we please get to that point? Not to say that we can't eventually get to the point where we're having a back and forth dialogue about what we disagree with and, and sharing that. But can we start from that open-handed conversation point of view? That's, that's my hope. <laughs> now, the big question is, is can we get, can you, can you uh, tell us how to get the world leaders of, of all these different countries together for that? <laughs> oh my goodness. You know, yeah, that is, that is something that I run up against. You, you bring up a great point. I, I was just challenged the other day on social media. Like, how do we get these bad faith actors to go along with this? And my answer was, I don't know that I, I don't know that I have the answer to that. I don't know that I can because I don't have that influence. There are other people that have that influence that we need to hope and pray for a change of heart for them. My influence is over this space. What like the people that are in my community are in my sphere of influence. Those are the people that I first need to engage with in these conversations. And if I don't have anyone in my sphere of influence that I connect with on a regular basis who disagrees with me on anything, my sphere of influence is way too small. I need to reach out. I need to bring and invite others in. If everyone I know thinks and looks and talks and acts like I do and believes like I do, that's where you start. That's where you start to change the world, not by hoping and praying that Vladimir Putin has a change of heart <laughs> or that right. you somehow get, get to, to face him face to face and ask him questions. Maybe that'll happen someday, but there are other people that have that opportunity. You have the opportunity with what's right in your sphere of influence, first and foremost. And if your sphere of influence doesn't look like uh, or, or have the opportunities for you to engage that way, you need to be an active part in making that happen. And that leads to the next question. And I was going to say some, some leadership uh, skills or some, uh, if you could share some, some leadership tactics or, or skills. And, and I think you just spit out a whole bunch of them right there because that, that's it. But um, that's, that's what I'm hearing is I'm hearing, this is something that if, if a listener is out there and they, and they feel like they want to be a leader in their life, or they want to do something positive, whether it's, faith-based or, or just humanistic approach or, or anything of that nature, that they want to be a, an influencer or someone that's, that's doing things. These are, these are tips right there. Um, I don't know if you can add more to that, but I, I, I'm, I, I, those were awesome. So maybe if you have a couple other ones for people out there listening, I, I think that would, that would be wonderful to hear. 
Well, I'm a huge fan of Simon Sinek and his, his approach of selfless leadership, that you are, leadership is not about being in charge of someone. It is about taking care of those in your charge through selfless service. And as, as somebody who has, from the day I graduated from college and even going back into college when I was the managing editor at the student newspaper, uh, my first job out of college was as, as an editor at a newspaper in a little small town in Kansas. I've been leading people and leading teams for a long time. The most effective teams, the most productive teams, the most happy people on those teams come when the leader places himself or herself in service to those in their charge. Full stop. You may get, you may get good results from being a, dicta, a dictatorial type of leader uh, in the short term. Over the long term, you will crush any hope that you have of, of having a happy, well-producing rock star team. Um, that, that for me, um, I love the fact that I, I'm a marketing leader. I'm, I've led marketing teams at companies large and small. I think I have four former employees now who are leading their own marketing teams. That means more to me. I'm getting a little bit emotional here. <laughs> that, that means so much to me that, that the work that I hopefully did to pour into them so that they could better themselves and their lives and their, their careers. Three of those four are women. I love that, Jeff and Acacia, like to, to, to be a part of their journey in that way, not enough leaders think of their role as that, to set them up for what happens after you're no longer their manager. Right. That's where the gold lies. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it just is. It's so clear to me. And, and so hard to get people on board. <laughs> Unfortunately, a lot of times divisiveness and polarization is more profitable because- oh, Incentivized. I, yeah, exactly. We need to get to a place to where our humanity and other people's lives is worth more than what's in the pocketbooks. And I think that's a lot of what society has forgotten. And it, and it can, it doesn't just pertain to war. It pertains to any kind of a conflict. Well, let's, let's, let's put it in the context of just what's happening here in the United States. Yeah. And, and going back to that verse that I talked about earlier, we're not be not taking joy in your enemy's stumble. Yes. When, when Joe Biden was elected president, what we saw was of course a, a lot of, of glee and joy of, of, from a lot of his supporters. Obviously he got millions, tens and tens of millions of votes, most ever in a presidential election. What broke my heart in that was the, a lot of the message from the left to the right was, see you later, you're gone. You're, you're, either, come, you're either getting in line with what's going on right now, or we're ditching you off the side of the road. And then several months down the road, when legislation's blocked, 
when the two sides aren't talking to each other. There's this raising our hands up in the air and saying, why can't we get anything done? Like, why, why, are, why are you guys blocking everything? We're, we're supposed to be like, there's this incredulousness about, about the fact that Republicans are not just now falling in lockstep with a new presidency and, and uh, a new majority in Congress. Well, what did you think was going to happen when for six months to a year, Republicans were told, if we win the election, we're leaving you in the dust? Do you think that people like, do you honestly think that someone is going to just sign up for your agenda at that point? Or does a lot of repair work need to be done? Does a lot of bridge building need to be done? Mm. I, I heard recently that um, the, the point of bridge building is not to always cross the bridge, but to keep the bridge intact. We don't always have to cross to the other side but we have to keep the lines of communication and the ability to reach and, 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 and talk to each other. We have to keep that ability. But it just seems like every single time when one side gains victory, they rejoice in the other side's failure more than the, the opportunity and the chance to enact any real change or, or, or enact any real dialogue to build bridges and, and bring the, the country along. It's always striking to me that we are so frustrated and upset that people can't get on our side. And then in the very next breath, we shame and dehumanize and stereotype them into oblivion. Yes. <laughs> yeah. like, uh, the, There's the, another a big lesson right there for anybody that's listening. If you want to change hearts and minds, understand the other side, respect them. Even if you don't agree with them, listen yeah. and, and hear what they're saying and, and see where they're coming from. And, and, um, and that bridge building, that's it. That's it right there. That's, that's, that's phenomenal. More pearls of wisdom, Michael. It's <laughs> really good. Um, if you can, if you can share with us a little bit about your, your next upcoming talk, um, maybe you can't, but if you can, uh, a little bit about what, what you're going to be speaking about. So uh, I don't have a title for the talk yet, but I alluded to it a little bit earlier, which is this: the difference between a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. Mm -hmm. um, a peacekeeper, they a, a peacekeeper seeks more than anything else comfort, uh, individual or in group comfort, and discomfort is is something to be shunned or something to be pushed away. Now, that's not always a bad thing. It often rears its head in self-care. Uh, self-care is a way of keeping the peace and withdrawing into yourself to restore and relax from a lot of the pressure that we all face. There's in and of itself peacekeeping and self-care, not a bad thing. When self-care becomes the goal, the, the, the end-all be-all goal, it becomes a very isolationist thing. Uh, it becomes a very um, barrier and wall introducing thing where any and all instances of discomfort or, or disruption are not only pushed aside, but you become antagonistic of it. It becomes now a challenge to your very personhood. And we all know discomfort and, and being in uncomfortable situations in a lot of ways 
is a very advantageous thing. I'm a personal trainer on the side. The discomfort of being in the gym six days a week, it's going to get you results, but you're not going to see those results for months. That's discomfort and, and, and putting yourself in an uncomfortable situation for far off results. Uh, so peacekeeping, when it gets to that unhealthy state, looks like ghosting, looks like canceling, looks like um, media bubbles. It, it looks like creating this, this world that continuously shrinks down around us to the point where, as I mentioned earlier, the only people in our lives are those who look, think, act, and believe like we do. That's a peacekeeper in a really unhealthy isolationist state. A and, a, and a peacekeeper in the context of what we're talking about right now, then says, why should I be the one to engage with someone who disagrees with me? They're the ones who are wrong. I'm the one who's right. If we want, if they want to have a dialogue with me, they come to me first, but until then I am comfortable and happy right where I am. A peacemaker says, I'm going to make the first move. I'm going to be the one to reach out, get uncomfortable, get really vulnerable as, as awkward and, and uncomfortable as that makes me feel as as, as angry as that can make me feel sometimes to be the one to reach out when I don't think I did anything wrong. But I have to because things have to change because they cannot stay the same. That's a peacemaker. It is an active process. It is going and seeking to create and make peace rather than this protective cocoon of this illusion of peace that we sometimes create around ourselves. That's the topic. That's, that's where I'm going. I'm still formulating the thoughts in my mind and, and my talk is on April 30th. So um, I still got a little bit before as we record this, but it's coming together and, and things like this help me kind of outline that, <laughs> articulate it a little bit better. <laughs> that's great. I, I think it's a timely, a very timely talk and, and something that the, the world needs to hear and, and can learn so much Absolutely. from. I mean, that, that's the, the conversation in general. I mean, this is, is so good. And I, I hope that people really take it to heart, remember it and, um, and utilize it. These are, these are lessons that people can utilize in everyday life. It doesn't have to be um, politics. It doesn't have to be extremism. It, it could be uh, your relationship at home with your, your son and daughter or your wife or, or your girlfriend or boyfriend or, or whatever. It, it could be a friend that you have arguments with that, that, you know, you could use these, these skill sets. These are, these are very, um, very useful, I think, if people can learn from it and and take that that knowledge and, and utilize it. And that's that's why uh, again, we want to thank you for uh, coming on the program. And Acacia, do you have any other questions? Yeah, I was I was going to ask. I was thinking while you were talking about because you've been doing this for a while now. Obviously, you've been asking questions for a really long time, being a journalist. But in order to be want to become a journalist, you have to be questioning and wanting to ask questions in the first place. But since you started on this journey of, you know, trying to bring people together, asking those follow-up questions and, you know, inquiring of other minds and just everything, what would you say has been like 
the biggest changes you have seen in your own personal life from in your journey that asking questions of people and learning different things and even having disagreements, but learning to have the disagreements and still be willing to learn and talk with somebody. Because a lot of times I know it's easy for us too, is that, okay, this is our job. This is what we do. We work with Beyond Barriers. We talk with people, learning things every day, but we separate the professional from the personal. However, being talking about dialogue and everything, how is that just looking back over your journey, what do you think has been like the biggest change or one of the most memorable changes that has occurred because of asking those questions and doing what you do? Yeah, great question, Acacia. Um, I would put it in the context of it, it is it has just given me a level of, I hope, self-awareness of of how I show up in the world. And and that can be that can be a mentally exhausting thing and just like anything else that we start that's new that's not a habit that can be a mentally exhausting thing to constantly be cognizant or try to be cognizant of how am i like what's my body language in this conversation right now or or have i asked a question or am i on the edge of my seat just to just to get my next point in um it's it's affected how I, how I have conversations with my wife. Um, it's affected how I've had conversations with my family members who, like I mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm politically independent. They're from conservative red state, Kansas. We disagree on a lot of things and I still love them to death. Um, but how I show up in those conversations or, or even the conversations that I, I'm willing to jump into at that point, if I know that I'm not in the right headspace to, to be there right now and say, can we, can we put a pause on this? I'd like to consider what you're thinking about. I'd like to consider uh, your point of view. And then can we come back and talk about this? It's just that to me is the most radical change for me is, is that has become a habit now. It, it sounds hard at first and it is like asking questions is uncomfortable and difficult and hard, especially when we we we've got something to say <laughs> because we all want to be heard. Like we, we love, we love this out of our own voice, even if we don't like it on a recording, like we love, we like to talk. Um, and, and, and so that process of, of being more curious about ourselves, about others and letting that lead to conversations with people and, and asking questions of them, like anything else, that is a habit that you can build over time to where it doesn't feel so uncomfortable and vulnerable. Like you've got, like you're on the operating table splayed open. Um, it, it actually becomes something that you seek out. And I, I constantly go back to, um, something that Matthew Barzen, who was on my show, he was the, the former U S ambassador to Sweden in the UK, something that he wrote in his book, um, the power of giving away power. He said something to the effect of, is the small thing that you express, is that the thing that you would want if you repeated it and repeated it and repeated it? So are we, are we shouting for calm? Are we throwing rocks for peace? Are we fighting for healing? And it's those small moments to go back to what we were talking about earlier. Like, yes, we can look at our, our 
nation's leaders and get frustrated and and have very strong reactions to what they do and the the things that they say and the the moves that they make but on that small scale am i doing something that if that scaled up to that level i would want to see repeated and if not what do i need to change do i need to change about how i post on social media do i need to change about uh, about how i talk in front of my kids about people who disagree with me when they're not in the room like these are small things that we can do that affect again to go back to that sphere of influence that affects the lives of the people around us and and helps us show up in ways that if it was repeated we would be proud to be the the focal point or the center point of that that thing awesome i appreciate it very much and Thank you so much for coming on and joining us for this. And I will leave with this last one thing. If there is one question that you could ask our audience to have them think about, what would it be? I can't take credit for it. Uh, I, I love the question that I mentioned earlier from Monica Guzman in her book, I Never Thought of It That Way. What am I missing? Ask yourself, what am I missing? Uh, and, and think of something that you are vehemently against and then put yourself in that, that spot where you get uncomfortable and messy in your thoughts and just ask, what am I not seeing? What could I not be seeing? What could be true that, that I don't necessarily agree with, but that somebody else might agree with? So yeah, I'd, I'd, I'll, I'll give Monica all the credit for this question is what am I missing? I just love that. I love it so much. <laughs>